My name's Jen Adamson, if we haven't met. Um, I am not that cool to come up with that music, but uh, here I am. It's kind of like I don't know what to do with my hands, but I uh, should just look for Pastor Tom because he's usually busting a move back there. Uh, if this is your first time here at Kessid, welcome. Um, I'm just one of the, the speakers here at Kessid, so if you don't like me, come next week. Danny's back and uh, try it again. Uh, we're in the middle of this series called Black Licorice, and it's about celebrating each other's differences. And when I was thinking about this, I didn't say this for Thursday, so this must just be for the 9 a.m. It's not about tolerating each other's differences. It's about celebrating. And I think maybe some of that was for me, but if you want to join in. Um, the first week, Danny spoke about what the heart of the series is really about, which is that we can hold the differences of one another inside that relationship with Jesus who does the truest holding. And then Joe spoke about the idea of belonging and the difference of unity and uniformity. He also let us in on why he hates Manny so much. And I got to tell you, I was like, I don't like Manny's either, but I don't mind it mixed with other things. But now I mind it mixed with other things. So <laughs> uh, team Joe all the way on that. Um, you've Got another percentage point. Um, and then Danny spoke last week about the Pharisee and the tax collector and um, how they see each other in the story and maybe how we can evaluate how we, within Kessid, see ourselves as well. And this week, as wonderful as our stage is in black and white, I don't want to talk about the black and the white. I want to talk about that space in the middle, that gray space. Many of us were raised in church, or even if you weren't, maybe you were raised in a strict home where when I say black and white, you understand what I'm saying. When things were taught to you a certain way, this is black, this is white, this is right, this is wrong, don't touch that, don't do that. There was no, like, well, we're on the fence on this, so make your own choice. It was like, this is where we draw the line. And when you found yourself in that gray space, and if you're being honest, you found yourself there a lot, that space felt like shame. Shame that you were questioning it, shame that you didn't, like, weren't on either side, and often shame because you felt like you were the only one there. And when I think about the heart of this series and how we as Kessid are celebrating our differences, it's by holding that gray space for ourselves and for others, but for the first time, it feels like grace. And I truly believe that's why people keep coming through the doors here at Kessid, is because it's not just for, we say a lot that this place is for the spiritually curious, and a lot of times we like to think about those who don't have a relationship with God, but it's also for people like me, who have been born and raised in church, and are for the first time allowing myself to be spiritually curious within my heart and my soul, and truly dive down what I deemed was black and white, where is Jesus in it all? And so in order to truly dive in to that space of gray, I think we have to refresh our memories on what grace and shame truly mean. And so when I asked my nine-year-old, just give me one word for each of those, I should have asked my seven-year-old because he would have given me a more funny explanation, but my nine-year-old said love and disappointment, and I thought that was pretty spot on. 
he's my son, he's very smart, so um, um, <laughs> the other one's my husband, so. Uh, but shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. The root emotion of shame is triggered by a perceived break in one's connectedness to others or to oneself. Shame is stored in the emotion center of our brain. And so when we feel shame, when something shameful happens to us, our brain reacts by sending these signals to the rest of our body that lead us feel frozen in place. And so some nonverbal cues of shame, which I'm sure a lot of us know, uh, are like slumped shoulders, looking down, avoiding eye contact, um, hesitant speech, which I spent youth retreat with a couple of your kids a couple weekends ago, and it, that's kind of how they all are. <laughs> Not shame, just like, I'll talk to you when I want to, and that's fine. Some of them were very kind, so. <laughs> now, there's a lot of research on shame. You can find TED Talks, books, YouTubes, movies, everything. But when it comes to grace outside of the church, they can really only give us a definition. And so grace, by definition, is simple elegance or refinement of movement. So if shame has us frozen in place, then grace moves us. The Bible refers to grace as undeserved favor, something that we can't earn. And what I've learned in my very short time here on earth, that grace gets harder and harder to accept the more shame that I'm holding on to. So if shame freezes us and grace moves us, then it would seem that we would have to choose one or the other. And there's a story in the Bible where we see this posture shift, where Jesus not only extends grace, but he releases someone of their shame. And it's the story of the woman at the well. And I know a lot of us have heard this story, also known as the Samaritan woman, but I want you to try to listen to it through the lens of grace and shame. And it's found in John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. Jesus is walking through the town of Samaria back to Galilee with his disciples, and he comes across this well with a Samaritan woman. And it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can we get this living water? Are you greater than the father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. And Jesus replied, Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. You ha the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And I believe that in this moment, 
Jesus is speaking to this woman's shame. You see, there's a reason she was there at this time and nobody else was, was because she was an outcast in her town. Everyone knew her history, and so she wasn't there when all the other women were there. She was there intentionally at this time, and Jesus showed up. You see, a lot of times as Christians, we like to point out the sin in other people and people that don't know Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus, sin separates you from him. So if you're pointing this out, it's kind of irrelevant to them in that moment. But the world understands shame. And they understand the weight that shame carries. And so Jesus wants to have this authentic, open conversation with this woman. But she's not being completely honest. And so he calls out her shame. And so she says in verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, others are telling her, this is how you have to worship. They're drawing lines for her. And Jesus replies, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And that's when Grace enters the story. She still doesn't get that she's talking to the Messiah. And so he says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And just then, the disciples return. And the Bible says in verse 27 that when they returned, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? And so I want you to put yourself in the story. What does that look like? What does it look like for the disciples to return to Jesus sitting with a Samaritan woman at the well alone? And how often Do people like the woman at the well come into our church, our home, our workplaces, and we're surprised by what they bring with them? I don't know if you know anyone that has kind of that face that can tell you a thousand words without saying any word. I know somebody in my personal life that has that face, and he can cut me with a knife with just uh, one little eyebrow raise. There's also acronyms for that face, but I won't say that here, but the disciples immediately look on this woman with shame. In other translations say that the disciples wanted to say, they wanted to ask Jesus, like, what are you doing? Like Danny was talking to us last week, they had haughty eyes. They, without saying a word, were judging this woman. And so the story in the Bible ends that she leaves her jar, she goes back to town, and she has this, like, posture shift. She's telling people, I think the Messiah is at the well. He knew everything about my past, and he was still talking to me. And then the disciples, still clueless about what Jesus was doing, are, is worried that he didn't eat. Jesus, you got to eat something. And he's like, hold up. He didn't say that, but this is my Jen Adamson version. <laughs> hold up, disciples. You just went and got food. I did this 
work with this woman, I'm releasing her of her shame, and you show up and you try and place it back on her because she doesn't look like you, because she didn't have the same process as you, because she's in the gray and you deem yourself in the black and white. And so Jesus gives them a talking to and says, you know, this is why I'm here. The harvest is here. This is what we're doing. She is who this is all for. I believe Jesus saw their, that judgment immediately when they showed up. And he, see, he saw them starting to kind of draw lines, like, well, we don't really associate with her. But Jesus was reminding them she was worth it. And the, the rest of the story goes that these people from her town come and they want to know what this is all about. They saw something shift in her, and so they ask him to stay. He stays for two days, and because of their connection with Jesus that was prompted by this woman and her posture shift from shame to grace, they too believed. And the woman did more for the kingdom that day than those disciples. And instead of casting shame, that woman let go of hers. And that gave her this new refinement of movement. Many people from her town no longer saw the slumped over, full of shame woman, but one who was moving in freedom. Something changed in her posture, and they had to see it for themselves. When we find ourselves in that space of gray, and even when we don't, maybe we're holding that space for others, we have to do so with grace. And we have to do so by staying at the table staying long enough to hear people out and see their process and bring ours. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us approachable, and that's what makes Jesus approachable. Our jobs as Christians is not to shine a flashlight on other people's darkness, but to shine the light so that Jesus can light up their life. A friend of mine who she meets with a bunch of women in ministry all over the world, and she does this little, like, it's not a Bible study. It's just like a place for us to come and kind of get fed. And she was talking about grace, and she said this one line that I, like, immediately was like, whoa, yeah, that's so good. And she said, either the blood of Jesus covers it all or none of it. Either Jesus died on the cross for all of us or none of us. So when we start getting selective of what that blood covers. Let's be on the right side of that. His blood either covers us all or none of us. And as I prayed over this sermon this weekend about shame and grace, I kept getting this picture real in my head. And I have a hard time kind of like retain, I can't like read a book and then be like, wow, I got like all these points out of it. If it's a picture book, I'm like, yeah, remember that picture on page three? You know, that's just how my brain works. And so I got this picture of, like, me sinning. And when I sin, I pick up this box, and that represents my sin. And with that sin, because I know what sin is, comes, like, this weighted blanket of shame, right? Shame that I picked up that box. Shame that I picked it up for the third hundredth, three hundredth time. Shame that, you know, why is nobody else holding this box? And when I recognize my sin and I'm ready to let it go, I know that I can bring it to the foot of the cross and exchange it for forgiveness. So I walk to the foot of the cross, and I'm sorry for what I did, and I lay that box down, 
and I adjust my blanket and I walk away. And I'm thankful that he took my sin. I'm so thankful that he took my sin and I know that's why he came, but I deserve my shame. I should have known better. And so we live this free life full of, free of sin, but we're weighted down by shame. And so we limit ourselves. We limit our dreams. We limit our relationships. We limit our conversations with people. We limit our vulnerability when others walk into our lives and we share parts of our story because the others are just a little too shameful. And the next picture I got was this picture of like a foot in the door. And it represented the enemy's foot in the door of our life. See, if he can keep you holding on to that shame, he will always have that foot in your door. Right? Yeah, God forgives you of your sin, but shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. And I see this raising up in my kids now. I see shame raising up in my kids. And I'm not going to have it. Like, I... I won't do it. He's not going to have a foot in the door of my kid's life. And the only way that I can handle that is by getting rid of my own. I got to go first. Church, we got to go first. If we want to help release the world of the shame that they have and know the true love of Jesus, we got to go first. And so we got to slam those doors, release that shame, and we got to do so loud enough that our kids see and they hear it. I'm going to try to share this story without exposing one of my kids. (laughs) I exposed them on Thursday, but we'll try again. So one of my kids recently came to me when I was working, and they just looked like maybe they killed their other brother. Like it was just, okay, well, now I've narrowed it down already, so (laughs) I can do this. So they came, and they confessed that they had chose to do something wrong. They knew they shouldn't. I told them not to, and they did it anyways. And they, see I'm doing well, they decided you know, what they did was wrong and that they deserved to be in the room for the rest of the night. And I was just like, I can't believe you did that. Like, I'm so disappointed. I'm, I'm actually really hurt because there were so many steps where you could have, like, not done it, but you chose to do it. And that just really hurts my heart because I thought we had this trust. And you could just immediately feel this. I mean, they were just shame-ridden. And so I tell them to go to their room. And I'm like, my husband's on a work call. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm like, what do I? I don't want him to feel shame. Okay, well, now I've really narrowed it down to two. So I have two boys and two girls. So I'm like, and if you know my family, you know exactly what kid I'm talking about because the other one would never confess. And so... (laughs) So I'm thinking in my head, like, how do I parent? Like, how do I parent this? What's the best situation? They need to know what they did was wrong, but I refuse to let them sit in shame. So I go up to their room, and I'm like, open the door. I'm feeling like I can really win the parenting award here. And then I just start crying. I'm like, I'm so sorry you feel this way, you know? I'm like, he chose to do something wrong, and I'm crying, but I'm just like, I can see it, and I can remember all those times in my life where I made a bad choice, and that shame will linger for so long. 
And so I'm sitting with him, and I said, you know, you're not a bad kid. You have a good heart. You made a bad choice. You knew you made a bad choice. You immediately told me not a lot of people would do that. And so I forgive you, and, you know, let's just move on from this. And, you know, he lost screen time for the night, and that was, you know, my punishment. And so then as I'm leaving, I notice he's just, like, wallowing. Like, he just can't, can't believe that he did this. So later that night, we're taking the trash from the end of the driveway, and I'm walking with him, and I can still see he doesn't want to have a conversation with me because he knows he disappointed me, and he just feels so bad. And so I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, when I was your age, there were these presents for Christmas that I knew where my mom hid them. She hid them in this bench that she thought she was super secretive of, and she hadn't wrapped them yet. And when she was gone one day, I opened that bench, and I looked through the presents, and I can't remember if I told her or if she saw that they were all messed up. Probably the latter because I wasn't like my son and probably wouldn't have told on myself. But uh, she sat me down and she told me that I had ruined Christmas for her and that I had stolen the joy out of Christmas because she loved to watch us open presents and be surprised. But now, you know, I pretty much robbed her of that joy. And so as I'm telling her this weekend that I was going to share that story, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like you've been sitting, you know, and the shame cycle just keeps continuing. But that night with my son, I was able to be like, buddy, I've been there. And I know that I made a bad choice. I have never looked at another present, you know, but that shame's got to go. We all make choices, but you don't have to live with the shame. And I think where the black and white upbringing for me started to have like a check in my spirit like like something just doesn't sit right is that when I fell more in love with Jesus and I came to really know his character and his nature I couldn't find him in just the black and just the white I found him running all over the gray not necessarily searching but searching for people in the gray and extending grace and releasing people of shame and that's, I believe, where we truly celebrate each other's differences. We're, we're vulnerable with each other and say, yeah, man, I've struggled with knowing that too. Or yeah, I, I've dealt with a lot of shame in my life, but I'm learning to release it. And we get to connect with people who have way different stories. Joe hates mayonnaise a way different way than I hate it, but I'm going to hate it with him. And I'll close with this story that I'm kind of embarrassed how it all went down now, but so, such is my life. Um, so I'm not very good at like picking up some of the cues when other people are embarrassed, and I just like keep going. So this past week, I was running through one of my local coffee shops, and this barista opened the window, and I had never seen her before. And now she's like, you know, acknowledging me and saying like, hello, how's your morning? I interrupt her, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love your shirt which is also not really my, like, if I love it, I'll just keep that to myself, which maybe I should branch out. But I'm like, wow, I really love your shirt. And she's like, oh, thanks, it's from this game, which the way the rest of the conversation went, I forget the game, it's like Stranger something, and it's like a self-help, self-love game. And I was like, man, that's so good. And so she goes and makes my coffee and comes back to the window and I'm like, hey, can I take a picture of your shirt? <laughs> I know, I still, you know, I'm like, I am speaking this weekend, what we do for you at Kesed. I'm like, I'm speaking for you, for um, 
my church and I'd like, your shirt just really resonates with what I'm trying to talk about. And she was like, sure. <laughs> and I just thought, well, like, okay. So I whip my phone out and I take a picture and I get, do we have that picture? This picture. <laughs> and I didn't know it was weird until she was like, this. And I was like, oh, I guess I could have just wrote the words down. <laughs> but her, sh her shirt, I'm going to bring it home now, says, stop expecting people to love like you do. And you can take that a million miles from Sunday on what that means to you, but let's try to be together in this gray space. Stop expecting people to love Jesus like you do. Stop expecting their process to look like yours and celebrate that Jesus made us all unique and it processes with us all differently, that we get to celebrate that. That's so cool that God spoke to you like that. That's so cool that God brought you through like that. You know, when I was speaking at Youth Retreat a couple weekends ago, I was encouraging our kids, God made you all different. Some of you love to read, and God bless you for it. And so when you're reading the Bible, it really speaks to you. Some of you hate to read, maybe can't read, thank you, COVID. And so when, it, when worship is on, you just like connect with the Spirit in a way that's just so uniquely yours. And we need to be able to celebrate that and not shame people for that, not judge people, not run out of that gray space and say, you're doing it wrong. We're all different. But when we hold that space of gray, filled with grace for others, it becomes a love like they've never felt before. It allows them to be loved in the way they need, and we get to celebrate that difference with them. Not tolerate, celebrate. I know that for some of you in this room, Kesed has been a place where you finally feel like you have a seat at the table. And I'm telling you, you do. You have a seat, you belong here. Whether you've been here for 10 years or a couple months, you have a seat at the table. That maybe despite your views, your upbringings, who you voted for, the way your toilet paper roll goes, which is over, in case any of you were like, it could be, it's not, it's only over. There's scientific proof. I'll meet you in the back if you need some like articles um, or pictures, because I have those too. But that this place would be a place where we can run to the Savior together, all crazy in our own ways. Jesus wants you at the table. In fact, he died for you to be there so that you could know him, so that you could love him, so that you could experience his love and his grace for you. He came for your sin and he came for your shame because both separate you from his goodness and his salvation, which brings freedom and joy. And I'm gonna close this morning with a prayer that I wish I would have prayed over myself. All those years I carried that unneeded shame. And so will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, I'm so thankful for your grace. I don't understand it at times and I often feel too unworthy to accept it. But today I recognize I've been holding on to my shame all of these years when grace was right in reach. Thank you for dying for both, my sin and my shame. And I refuse to live another minute under the weight of it. I'm releasing it, I'm laying it down. I'm laying down the shame of my past, 
I'm laying down the shame of my choices, the shame of regrets and mistakes and past experiences in my life. The enemy has no place in the doorstep of my life. I'm choosing the posture of grace. I accept your grace. I receive your grace. I choose to walk in your grace. And help me as I lean into what it truly looks like to hold that space for those around me. Thank you for making me different. Thank you for helping me see the, and celebrate the difference in others. It's all for you, it's all about you, and it's all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning, Kested. Again, if it's your first time and you just didn't like what I had to say, come back next week. Danny's super good. <laughs> Glad you're here. Have a good week.